So we've already prayed, so we're going to go ahead and uh, get started here. And the way I like to teach is just verse by verse going through. It's called the next gentle method. Not that you care. I don't really care either, but that's what we're going to do. Um, so we learned from uh, chapter 1 when Katrina spoke that the Moabite was now a widow. And back in that day, widows had very little rights. You couldn't own property. You couldn't, nobody was going to take care of you. Um, and so you were really the lowest on the totem pole. And so Ruth, for Ruth, she denounced her family, her religion, the gods that she grew up being raised to worship. And she went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, to a land she'd never been. And so that's a little scary, don't you think, to travel? It's about 50 miles, and she traveled that 50 miles to a land she'd never been. She had been living with her mother-in-law and her father-in-law and her husband and her brother-in-law, and they were worshiping Yahweh. And so she, that was attractive to her. And so because of that, she wanted to stay with Naomi. So she really, she pushed the matter, you know, and she stayed uh, with Naomi. And the thing that we can really see from Ruth is that she was a strong and courageous woman. Because it doesn't say that they traveled through the caravan. It doesn't say anything like that. So we don't know. They could have traveled alone. That's a very scary thing for a woman to do. And I've been to Israel, and some of those roads, particularly the one uh, to Jericho, is very desolate, windy. Uh, a lot of robberies occurred there. And... Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem, and it's the same kind of conditions, you know, I mean, it's kind of deserty, like it is here, so, but she was uh, willing to go and to do that. And then we learned last week from Michelle, wherever Michelle went. To make copies. Oh, did we run out? I'm sorry if you did. It's hard to know how many to make. Okay, so we learned from Michelle last week that, um, she talked about Naomi's character and that Naomi had really great character. And this last summer I did a study on care, a word study on character, and uh, what that word really translates and literally means is to etch or engrave. And character is not, whether it's good or bad, is not formed easily. Because if you're taken and you made a little scratch, and you can hardly see it. But then on top of that scratch, if you scratch again, and then you scratch again, uh, you begin to see it. So um, character is developed over time. It's one decision at a time, whether you're going to obey God or not, whether you're going to follow his commands or not. It's really one etch at a time. Tell a small little lie to your boss because you don't want a confrontation. Cheat on your income taxes. Who's going to know? Dressing or acting seductively for a man that's not your husband. And that's our culture. Our culture tells us those things are okay. Just do it. You're not going to get caught. It's okay. But it is an etching in your soul. Just like an etching for a good thing is an etching in your soul. Making good choices. So if you're willing to pay the consequences for being truthful with your boss and doing what's right 
and being truthful, it's a good hitch. It's a and then if you declare what's really an you yours on your income taxes, it's a good etching. I know uh, when we were in grad school, I waitressed at a, wait at a restaurant and I loved it. I love people and I love chatting with them and talking with them and I'm good at multitasking and so I loved it. And I made really good tips for back then. I mean, this was 32 years ago and I made $100 a night easy. And it was like, Peppermill on this strip. You know, Peppermill is kind of a high-end coffee shop. And everybody else I worked with when I came into work after I did my taxes was like, what'd you, what'd you put down on your taxes for your income? I said, like, what do you mean what did I put down? I put down what I made. And they go, no, no, your tips. And I'm like, I know. I put down what I made. And I made more than any of them and they knew it. And they were like, what? You cannot put that down on your taxes. Because if you put that down, they're going to examine us and they're going to audit us. And, you know, that's not my problem. I mean, I wasn't, you know, rude and didn't say, well, not my problem, it's your problem. But I told them, I said, I have to sleep at night. And I'm a Christian. I'm not going to lie for anybody. I don't care if it's going to save me money or whatever. I don't want that on my soul. And so, um, you know, they weren't happy with me. They didn't speak to me for a couple of weeks. As far as I know, no one got audited. But um, going against the grain of your culture, that's hard to do. But it's better to do the hard thing and then to get that itching into your soul because that becomes part of who you are. And it's Amen. not easily erased. Amen. It's part of who you are. But through the blood of Jesus... Uh, you can work at erasing it. But it's a process, isn't it? Like, my thinking, like, when I married Gary, our thinking was very different. And of course he was wrong. <laughs> because I was the normal one. And, you know, so, um, you don't know what you don't know. And so, you just have, you know, the, it says be re renewed by the transforming of your mind. And so that gets through the word and you realize, oh, okay, so that's not kosher. Because um, I was raised in a home where a lot of my family members, when it was easier to tell the truth, would lie. I, I have a brother. I mean, well, I have two, actually. I have, six, I have five brothers, and two of them would rather tell you a lie than the truth, even though the truth is a better story. It's weird, you know? It's like, really? But anyway, so... They are my brothers, and I love them, but... So we only... Uh, what you allow to be etched into your soul can only be etched by you. Nobody else can etch your soul. You can't, you know, remember Flip Wilson back in the day? The devil made me do it! No. Only you can get something etched into your soul. And the entire book of Ruth is not just a love story, but it's a story, the entire thing that points to the, it's a big arrow that points to the sovereignty of God, the sovereign providence of God. It's an amazing thing. Chapter 1 shows that God brings famine, and he ends famine. Who else can do that? Only God, the creator of the universe. It shows that he allows death, not when it's just convenient or when someone's ready or whatever. And it's ironic that Bethlehem 
ends up in this dreadful famine because the word Bethlehem transliterated, it literally means house of bread because all around it were grain fields. But when there's a severe drought, doesn't matter how many grain fields you have, and God wasn't sending rain from heaven, um, so they were in this drought and then we had this famine. And Bethlehem is best known, this is where Naomi was from, and it's best known, of course, as being the birthplace of Jesus, but also it's well known for the place that David grew up. You know, when David was off and, and they were trying to send one of the brothers out to fight Goliath and figure out which one, and that's where it was from, was Bethlehem. They, he was raised in Bethlehem. And remember, four generations from Boaz. You've all, have you all read the book of Ruth yet? Okay, good. I'm not gonna, it's not a spoiler alert there. <laughs> so um, they end up married. And they're four generations away from David, and they're still living in Bethlehem. And uh, who knows how long they lived there before that. I don't know. But um, so here it's this arrow, this big arrow pointing to the providence of God. And um, as it turned out, it says in, in chapter 2, verse 3, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. It was no coincidence that she found herself working in Boaz's field. And at the same time, it was no coincidence that Boaz happened to be there at the same time. And she caught his eye and said, oh, who's that? Because he could have come after she was there, before she was there, not gone to the field that day. There was a lot of scenarios that could have happened. But they both ended up there out of the providence, the sovereign providence of God. He directed their paths. And so it was no accident. And I love the fact that um, God's purpose in showing us his providence isn't to make us comfortable. It's to make us conformable. He wants us to conform to his will, to his image, and that's why he shows us those things. Because the more you trust, then the more you trust, and the more you can trust, and the more you trust. So that's why he reveals. It's for a purpose. He reveals his providence. It's not just to go, woo-woo, look what I did. You know, I arranged all that. If it was me, that would probably be me. I would just be, let me be honest with you, I'd probably be pretty flamboyant about it and telling you how spectacular that was. But, you know, God wants to nurture our trust in him. And that's, he begins showing that really in chapter 2. And that in chapter 2, he starts showing his abundant blessings to um, Ruth and also to Naomi. And um, every I love the fact that every prayer in the book of Ruth is a prayer for blessing. There are a lot of prayers in there. And they are all prayers for blessing. And did you know every single one of them was answered? Every prayer for blessing was answered. So here now we're going to start a little backstory on Ruth here, uh, a little bit from what Katrina and Michelle had shared in chapters 1 and 2. And so now we start chapter 3, and it says in verse 1, one day, hello. one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? So we're not sure how long that one day was. You know, we know she was leaning in the field, and then one day Naomi said to her, Shouldn't I find a home for you? 
Not sure how long there's no... Um, we do know that the harvest time lasted about two months, only about seven weeks. Uh, have you ever heard of the Feast of Weeks? That was the Feast of Weeks is based on the redemption story of Ruth. So every Jewish synagogue to this day reads the book of Ruth over the Feast of Weeks. And um, because it's a very powerful story for all of us, Jewish or Christian, of God's provision, his redemption, uh, his sovereignty. So they still, the Feast of Weeks was based on the book of Ruth, that celebration. Now Naomi here, she was not trying to play a matchmaker. How, how many of you, I'll just be honest, we are in church, how many of you have ever played matchmaker? Oh, wow. This side of the room. We need to coach. They're not quite as, as good at that. Yeah. I've played matchmaker before. And I do have one successful couple that married even. And they married 40 years ago. You know Jimmy Pettingill? I didn't arrange that, but my daughter did. So sometimes it works. But that's not what Naomi was doing. Naomi had taken on the role of mother. Because Ruth had left her mother. She had left her parents, her siblings, whatever, how many she had, or whatever they did. She had left them. And when she left them, she was adopting Naomi as her mother. And so that was a parent's responsibility in this culture. I am so glad my mom was not responsible to do that for me. How about you? Oh, my word, my word. I don't think that would have turned out pretty. But anyway... Um, I'm glad God had his way and hooked me up with Gary 40 years ago now. Aww. I know, that's so sweet. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. Do I have time? Oh. What time do I have to end by Katrina? 7.15? Uh, 7. No, you're good for 7.30. Oh, I am? Okay, I'll tell you a story. Um, I love chocolate. If you don't know that, I do. I'm trying not to eat it right now because I'm trying to be good and I'm trying to, you know. So anyway, it's very hard for me. My grandmother was a chocoholic. My mother's a chocoholic. My, my father's a chocoholic. So anyway. It's genetic. I'm, it's genetic. But chocolate comes from a bean and beans are vegetables, so you are okay. I can take that further. For time's sake, I won't. Because I have a very long... Um, anyway... Uh, what was I saying about Gary? He's so sweet. Was that what I, is that what I was saying? I interrupted myself. Anyway, oh, and we went, I went to Vermont recently, and what I did, I found the world's best cookie. I'll tell you, and I'm not even eating junk, but somebody bought this box of cookies, and so we opened it. I go, well, I'll just have one. Because my favorite cookie is a pinwheel with a marshmallow dipped, you know, cookie. Marshmallow, you familiar with those? Yes. And they drench it in jummy chocolate. Anyway, this was, a, this was a version of that. So I, I didn't eat one. I scarfed one. I'm not even sure I chewed it. But it was like the yummiest thing I'd ever eaten. So anyway, we had trouble with Allegiant Airline. And I could go on a real rabbit trail here, but I'm not going to because I love you. But I ended up giving my box of cookies away to the Allegiant guy at the counter because he was so helpful to us. Because they mess up anyway. Will not be better. So, anyway, I gave away my box of cookies because I bought one to bring home. I was already planning my two, my binge in two weeks from the time I got home. 
So I told Gary, now, don't eat the, oh, oh, I gave mine away. So Jamie, because we were all back there together, Jamie brings me a box. And she goes, here, I stopped and I bought you a box. I found it. I'm like, oh, oh thank you. I'm a cheap date. I get so excited over chocolate. Anyway, um, I told Gary, now listen, I can't be bad again for at least two weeks. I was bad and I'm not. I ate every apple cider donut I saw. Every time I passed a creamy sign, I pulled over, you know what creamy is? Soft ice cream. I had to get ones, they have maple ones, and all kinds of them. So anyway, I told her, I can't have these for at least two weeks, so I don't want to open them because I want them fresh. I gotta stay fresh. So if you're married, you now come on, you know what I'm talking about. He goes, okay. I went home that night. Guess what? It's on the counter open. Jesus. 
So that's, and that's the heart of Ruth and what she did for Naomi. And uh, Ruth was humble and submissive and faithful. And through all of that, Naomi learned to be grateful. And how many of you know that gratefulness can change the lens at which you look through life? You know, it, it either, when you're grateful, it's hard to be bitter when you're grateful. You know, that heart of gratitude is a great attitude because it keeps you thinking in a positive, uh, positive lens. And, and before God changes our circumstances, He wants to change our hearts and our, and our lens in life. Because it's not going to do you any good if God moves you from one trial to the next trial to the next trial to the next trial and you haven't grown and you haven't learned from it. Hasn't done you one bit of good. That's why whenever I'm in a trial, I pray, God, teach me everything you ever wanted me to learn through this trial, even stuff that isn't related to this trial. Somehow, you know, just pour into me, change me. Um, and so, and it works. It's crazy. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I learned that out of that. That's pretty amazing. Only God can do that. So he wants, he, Naomi exchanged her bit of bitterness into gratefulness, and that changed the lens in her life. And I love this quote, and it's a guy that none of us have ever heard, and I tried to find him online, and um, it went to some weird, very not good site. <laughs> and his name wasn't even there, so I, thought, Ooh. So I tried it again. I'm not going to tell you his name, because I don't want you to go to a bad site. So this quote is so powerful, and it says, Although no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. You know, the end of your story hasn't been written. You can help write the end of your story. And it's by your choices and your decisions to follow or not, and your obedience and your submissiveness and the lens that you're choosing to look through life with. Are you going to be bitter or are you going to choose to be grateful? So here we have in Ruth 3, 2, 4, it says, Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. In other words, she was telling her, get ready. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there unless he has finished eating and drinking. That's the same with Gary, I've got to tell you. If you're... If, why well, nothing? He does drink water and coke and all But when he would come in, if he was grouchy, our kids would say, Is he tired or hungry? Because he's very even tempered. So apparently, Boaz might have been like Gary. So she said, Don't approach him till he is, he's finished eating and drinking, and when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So in verse 3 here, he's she's telling Ruth to go get on your best clothes. But really, when you look at the original language here, what that's saying is Ruth was poor. I mean, she didn't have, like, anybody in this room has a bigger closet than Ruth would have had. Uh, if you're in America, you have a bigger closet than Naomi would have had. Poor widow. Uh, they were from an agrarian society, not very wealthy. And so we are all wealthy compared to that. So um, what she was really telling her to do was to go get an outer cloak, the best outer cloak that you have to protect you and keep you warm. 
That's really what that passage is saying. So, verse Ruth 3, 5 to 6 says, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. We talk about complete submissiveness and obedience. So, um, it is really shown right here. And you know, really, when you think about Ruth, she was a very courageous woman to do that. Uh, and, and a complete willingness to do all that God asks of us. I believe with all my heart is the secret to Him revealing to you what it is He wants you to do. That's right. Don't you hate telling people uh, truth? Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, I really want it, I really want it. And then you, you tell them truth. And they're like, oh, uh, you know, and they don't want to do it. They just want to know what you thought. You know, and so we prove our trust to God in our, through our obedience. And the more we obey, the more he can trust us, just like Amen. we trust him. The more he can trust us to reveal more of himself, to reveal more of his truths, to reveal more of his plan for your life. And so, but for Ruth to go down to that um, threshing floor, threshing floors were not like right outside your door. They were usually outside the village because it was a lot of dirty work that had to be done. And they were up on a hill. And so that meant you had to leave the village at night because that's when they threshed uh, because of the coolness of the night and the evening breezes that came up assisted in the threshing. So when you think about a young woman all by herself going, leaving the security of the village and going, she didn't say, well, that's too dangerous for me. I don't want to go because someone might mug me or rape me or whatever. But it says that I will do whatever you say. So Ruth was not only obedient to her mother-in-law, but she knew that that was God's will, that she do that. So here it says in 7 to 9, it says... When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. That'd be a little creepy. <laughs> so, who are you, he asked. He could, it was dark. Like, it's a midnight thing, you know, it's pitch black dark. She said, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, um, Boaz was following the custom of his day, and whoever did that threshing, they slept with the, the, the grain, because somebody would go in and steal it. So you'd do all that work, you'd you know, plant it, harvest it, thresh it, and somebody else would go in and steal it. So you never left that threshing floor until you were ready and to bag it up and either take it to market and sell it or take it to your house or whatever you were going to do. And, and the threshing floor was this, it, it was a hardened piece, it was up on a hill because they wanted to take advantage of the Mediterranean breezes uh, that blew through. And so what they would have was this hardened, hardened piece of uh, ground and uh, then they would put the stalks down and then to separate the grain from the shaft, they had several different methods. They, if they were poor, they would just take very primitive tools and just keep beating it and beating it and beating it and beating it until it broke down and it started separating. 
If you had money, then you would take like an oxen and walk them back and forth or a cart and walk it back and forth across that grain to break it up. And then they could pick up those stalks and put the stalks in a pile once the grain was off of it. And then what was left was the grain and the chaff. And so then you had to separate that too. But the chaff was really lightweight. So they would have these huge, humongous piles of grain and chaff. And then they would take a winnowing fork and they would put it under there and they would hold it up. And then the wind would come and it would blow and it would just blow all that chaff off. And the grain was heavier so it would fall to the ground. And, but that was a very lengthy process. That wasn't a thing where you just, you know, one winnowing fork and you were done. You had to do it repetitively all night long waiting for that, for just the grain to be left. Because that's what was valuable was just that grain. So it was, uh, uh, like I said, a very... Uh, lengthy process. And so um, the, the neat thing about, I, I love God because God loves celebrations and so do I. And I do. Well, you know that. Michelle used to be my assistant. I love celebrations, parties. I, I love all of that kind of stuff. And so does God. And so like the Feast of Weeks, that was after the end of the harvest. So it was in June. So they always had these celebrations that they did. And once this process was done, and they had just nothing but the grain. They would just rejoice and praise God, and then they would have a big meal together. All those people that helped with that threshing floor would come in, and, and they would all eat together. They would eat and drink together, and then all of the men would spend the night there and guard that grain. Because, and they were exhausted by the time they were done with that. That was a, a lot, a lot of work. So they would all just lay around it, and um, I love the fact that Boaz here, you see that he, he was a humble landowner, and he stayed with his men. A lot of landowners would have said, nah, see ya, I'm going home to my bed, yeah. you know, and they would have walked out. But he did not. He spent the night with his men, and he slept there. Um, and I love the fact in verse 9, Ruth, when he said, who, who, who is this? Who are you? She didn't say, I'm Ruth the Moabitess. She no longer identified herself as being a Moabite. She had come with Naomi and she had accepted Naomi. She's told her, I'll serve your God, I'll love your God, I'll be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And she meant that and she did that. So now she told him she was uh, Ruth and that she was a servant. She said, I'm your slave, your maid servant, which is just a position of humility. And... Um, then she asked him to cover her with a corner of his garment. And, and what I love this word picture here because what that word literally means is the same word found in chapter 2, verse 12, when it says, where Boaz says to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, under whose protection you have come to take refuge. Ruth's request to be covered by his garment, that word, that garment is really under his wing, under his protection. It's the same word. And because he served Yahweh, it was really under the protection of Yahweh, his God, Naomi's God. And she was just opening herself up to, um, up to that. So um, Ruth 3.10 says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. 
you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. This is the second time that he's called her daughter. And that tells us that he was a lot older than she was. I don't, you know, I mean, which says a lot about, I think, about Ruth. Because, you know, he said, you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Because she was a young widow now. And she could have run after anyone she wanted to. And, you know, gone after him. And, and she laid at his feet, which was a position of submission. And it was a common thing to do when you, when you were asking somebody to marry you. You would lay at their feet. And then it was their choice whether to say yes or no. And Boaz knew that because that was part of that kinsman redeemer uh, part. So in Leviticus 25, you can read about the instructions on what a kinsman redeemer was to do in taking care of a blood, will, uh, blood relative's widow. So here in verse 10, Ruth's character once again shines through, and she's just so humble. She didn't go after some young hunk. You know, she could have gone after someone named Bo Hunk instead of Bo Hunk. You know? But she didn't because, you, you know, I've noticed in my life that good character is attracted to good character. Bad character is attracted to bad character. Because if you've got bad character, you don't want to be with someone with good character because they're going to point it out to you. And you really don't want to know. TMI. So... You know, she was attracted to Boaz because of his character. His age was really superfluous to her. Um, so Boaz says, you have not run after the younger, oh, I read that already. And um, since neither of Naomi's sons had children, then Ruth was, if Ruth had not approached a kinsman redeemer, the way the law is in Leviticus, your family name dies. And that is a disgrace because you were owned by God. And that's why it was such a disgrace to let your family name end. And so he set up this provision. I love how the provisions that God set up for the widows, the orphans, and, you know, people who are in need. It's, it's a fabulous thing. And so he, he set that up. And so, but Ruth's heart was so pure. She didn't want to disgrace Naomi because Naomi's the one that would have been disgraced. She would have gone on, she would have taken a new name, and she would have just moved on with her life. But she loved her mother-in-law. And she didn't want to just have her mother-in-law disgraced. So she was faithful and obedient and, and uh, went after a kinsman redeemer. And I think it's very important for us to understand the difference between the word redemption and the word purchase. And so we need to look at those original meanings of those words. The word purchase implies a change of ownership. Who your master is. Because you can be a slave and be bought from one master to another, but your condition doesn't change. You're still a slave. So it just implies a change of ownership. But the word redemption implies a change of condition. And that's the, the key difference here. And now I don't know if any of you ever remember your mother collecting S and H green stamps. How many of you remember? Oh, okay, I didn't 
Okay. Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh, I was just in Hawaii. We'll have to talk later. My husband wants to move there next week. Anyway, SNH green stamps. They did you no good like this. But what you did when you went to the grocery store, you spent money and they gave you these. Then they gave you this little book. And you would just fill this little book up. And as soon as you filled this book up, you could change its condition. It was no longer a book full of SNH green stamps. You could change this book for a toaster. It, was, it would change the condition of these from this into something valuable. How can you possibly still have those? I got them off of eBay for this class. <laughs> when I was going through this, I thought, oh, I need some s and green stamps. I wonder if I can find them. So I got them on, e I got them on eBay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's redemption. It's a change in your condition or your state. And, um, so in verse 3.11 it says, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. That's what Boaz says to her. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Reputation is invaluable. It is so important. Uh, and what that word, what that phrase, all my fellow townsmen, literally means is, all the gate of my people. All the people at my gate. And if you were here on Sunday, you remember uh, Pastor Gary showing that slide of the, the gate into Bethsaida and how there was the two gods that they could go and they could sacrifice to and they could worship. That wasn't a great picture. It was a fabulous picture of, oh my gosh, how you, you know, people could worship both or, which is really what we do today, isn't it? Um, what your flesh tends to want to do. But anyway, what it was, and he, he mentioned this, I think, it was really like an S. So you opened up, you went into this end, this opening. They had places up above where people could pour hot oil on you because it was first and foremost a protective entrance into this city. But So when you went into this first part of this S, there were benches all along that S. And that's what all, when, you, when you're reading in the Word and it says, the elders were at the city gate, that's what that means. The, the lawyers, the elders, uh, they all sat at that city gate. So if you had an issue, you would go there and you would say, I, okay, I need some, some wisdom here. Uh, I need, you know, and, and you could pick out who you wanted to participate in this, or if it was a legal thing, you had to be a lawyer. But, um... So he, uh, all those people met there. Well, guess who else met there? The gossips and the busybodies. <laughs> they hung out there too. You know, you ever see women, you know, back when we were in Italy, I just cracked up because you'd see women in the town square and they'd be at their window. And they'd be on their windowsill, just looking down at the town square. And you could see when they saw something they wanted to communicate, they'd yell back, hey! start telling in Italian something they saw. They're probably talking about the tall guy from America, most likely. You know, it's really tall. Like, oh, come look, you know. And someone else would come to the window and look out. And anyway, but that's who hung out in that city gate. Or and that's so that's where people. And he said, all my fellow towns, all the gate of my people. So they all knew about her. They knew she had come. So when he saw her in the field, he already knew. You know, Naomi brought her daughter-in-law, 
Naomi lost her husband. She's had some bad luck because her daughter-in-laws both lost their husband too. Now they're here in the city. So it was already a well-known fact. So it's very important. And it's the same with us today. Social media and everything else there is. That's the gate of our people, I'll tell you. Everything you do can end up on there. I saw pictures of myself in Vermont. I didn't post them there. I did not post one picture of my Vermont trip. So if you happen to see my website, my Facebook page, it wasn't me. So, uh, now with new technology, other people are posting on my website. So, um, now verse 12 to 14 says, Although um, it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem but if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. That would have destroyed her reputation for that to get out. Because people would have put some, you know, sexual thing to that that never happened. And once, you can't dispel a negative rumor. You know, once it's out there... There's people that are going to believe it, and there's other people that won't, but it's very, very difficult. Um, I love the fact that the blood of Jesus purchased the right to free us from the bonds of sin and death as our master. And purchasing that right to free us was an act of his will. He didn't have to send his son, and his son didn't have to die. That's right. But it was an act of his will. And then once you give your life to Christ, it's not just an act of his will. It also becomes an act of your will. Because he is our kinsman redeemer. He wants to change your state of being. But it's only with your permission that he will do so. And so you have to be willing to let him redeem you. So here Boaz's great character is shown through in all these verses. And you know, he could have been ridiculously flattered by uh, this younger woman. And, 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 I, and I also thought, geez, you know, if I was Boaz, I don't know. I'd like to think I'd acted like him, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd have, oh, gosh, this hot young chick wants me. I'm an old man. Let's see, I'm going to go to that kinsman or demon that really has the right. I'm going to just say how ugly she is. I'm going to say, she's a pain. You really don't want her, you know. But what he said was, it's good if he wants to. Because Boaz knew there's no better place to be than right in the center of God's will. Amen. And so he was willing to be obedient and pay the consequence. And not try to manipulate. Sometimes we like to manipulate God, don't we? We think we can get away with it. So Boaz was quick to point out to Ruth that whether he married her or not, it was going to be good for her because someone was going to take care of her. And if it wasn't the closest kin, it would be him. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't vain, didn't want to brag. So to make sure that no one knew she came to the threshing floor because it was, it was dangerous again for a woman to go out at night. So she waited until it was closer to daybreak, but not where anyone could recognize her. And then, you know, she was just out there walking around. Nobody would know where she was. 
Uh, Ruth 315 says, He also said, Bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. I love how generous this guy is. You know, back in chapter 2, he blessed her. And he told his workers, Pull some of those sheaves out of the, out of the bundles and just drop them there. So she didn't have to just go gleaning the little tiny... You know, the little tiny kernels or whatever, but she had whole sheaves to pick from. And now here he gives her uh, two bushels. That would have been about 50 pounds. So we know Ruth was no weakling. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm not so sure <laughs> I'd want to walk. And, and he, it says that he, he helped put it on her. Because at the custom of the day, she would have put it on her head. You know, you've seen people, you know, like in Africa and even in the Middle East today. You see them with big baskets on. I just wonder how in the world they do that. Doesn't your neck get shorter? Yeah. You know? <laughs> you think about that. Years of doing that, compacting your discs or something, you know. But he helped put it on her head. And uh, she carried it back home. Like I said, I was about 50 pounds. That was no light load. Um, so Ruth... 3.16-17 says, When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Not only was he generous, he's a pretty wise fella. That might be his future mother-in-law. <laughs> she might have been younger than him even. We don't know how old he was. But I'm a mother-in-law. I know how to pick out a, you know, I mean, what would make a good husband. I have two fabulous son-in-laws. I am and a fabulous daughter-in-law. I am blessed beyond belief. But what would that do for you? You, you know, she comes back and says, "Don't go back empty-handed." Remember how uh, uh, Naomi came to Bethlehem? She was empty-handed, and that's why she was bitter. So. Um, in verse 18, it says, Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Right. His reputation, she knew. He was not going to be lazy about it. He wasn't going to put off till tomorrow what should be done today. He was going to go get that matter settled, and it would be done either way. We'll get into more of that in chapter 4 and see all what happened uh, next week. But I love that when she said, wait. That's the hardest thing for me to do. I don't know about you, but I like, you know, if we're going to do something, let's just get this on the road. You know, let's get this show moving. Let's. And she said, wait. And there's wisdom in waiting. There is wisdom in waiting. And Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And Ruth knew that. And so she waited patiently. And I love the fact that Boaz pursued his desires with integrity. He went to the man in the first position to serve as the kinsman redeemer to see if he was willing to redeem Ruth. And integrity in our pursuits brings God's blessings. It opens the door for them. Because if you're operating in truth, that's where God lives. John 1, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, God operates in truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word, you know. God is truth. He doesn't operate in shadows of gray. He doesn't operate in deception and manipulation and lies, but He operates in truth. Um, 
And I'm, I'm going to repeat that saying that I said earlier, because although no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. And that's what Naomi did, by changing, by allowing God to change her perception, by developing an attitude of gratitude. And that's what you can do too. So I love that, that you know, God finds us and loves us and accepts us the way we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us that way. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that he didn't leave me the way he found me. Oh, my word. So, I'm just going to say a quick... Does anybody have any questions? Okay. Well. <laughs> um, I enjoyed being with you ladies tonight and uh, going over this chapter. So, um, I'm just going to pray for you real quick. And then, I, are they dismissed for their groups? Do they need to know anything else, Katrina? Just if someone had... Is anyone new? Do you, does anyone not have a group? Raise your hand. Okay. We have two gals that don't have a group. If you see Katrina, she will find you a group. She would love to do that. That's Katrina right there. Man, I just got to get plugging one plug. I have one minute. Crashing Christmas is fabulous. We have been doing it for probably 18 years. A long, 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 long time. It's my favorite event we do. And take advantage of that early purchase ticket off, ticket offer because we sell out. And so you're kind of on the, you know what? Membership has its privileges. You're coming to buy Women's Ministries Bible Study. You get free choice of buying a ticket. It is so much fun. And there were so many testimonies I heard from last year when we did a community outreach project uh, of just how it ministered to people. It's non-threatening. You're not going to people's homes and saying, hey, we're here, we're going to... You know, whatever. <laughs> so it's safe. I just want you to know that right up front. So anyway, uh, it's just fun. You go bless somebody is what you do. You bless a stranger. Amen. So I think that's pretty special and pretty cool. So anyway, don't miss miss out on that. It's a lot of fun. All right, I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then you're going to be dismissed to go to your growth group or your small group. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you not only purchased us, but you are our redeemer. And that you change the state of our condition as we open our hearts and our wills to you and as we obey. Pray a special blessing upon each woman that is here tonight. Bless their homes. Bless them where they're at. Help them, Lord, to just keep their eyes fixed on you no matter what their circumstances are. Help each one of us to have an attitude of gratitude for what we do have and not look at the past of maybe what has happened to us. I thank you now for your, your word and that it never comes back void for all the things that you're going to do in each lady. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.